Hello everyone and welcome back to episode 3 on The Practical Pod. I'm your host, Emily Tran, here from Central Massachusetts, and today, April 9, 2021, we'll be taking a closer look on the so-called new group thing, how it's affecting our workplaces, and what you can do to make a change. If you'd like to know more about it, stay tuned. morning and that means school. You're preparing for a massive Socratic seminar that you're nervous about because you dislike intense discussions with others. At the bell, you're sitting at your desk, one that's positioned so that everyone sees everyone. That makes you even more anxious because you prefer solitude and staying anonymous. The whole thing turns out really disastrous and by the end of class, you're the first one out the door. Does this sound familiar? If it does, then you're one of the 50% or less of introverts in America, and that's the majority according to Susan Cain, author of the self-help book Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. Let's ask her what this is all about. Hello Susan, glad to have you. So tell us, what exactly is this new groupthink idea that's now become popular? It's an honor to be here. Well, I've actually defined it in my New York Times op-ed, The Rise of the New Groupthink. To quote myself, it holds that creativity and achievement come from an oddly gregarious place. Most of us now work in teams, in offices without walls, for managers who prize people skills above all, end quote. So that means a Socratic seminar of 40 kids is a normal thing in school. And that's because of the new group thing, which says that this open environment encourages kids to easily collaborate and be productive. But that's actually a misconception. If anything, the introverted students become isolated from the conversation just because they have a more reserved social preference than their extroverted peers. So the new group thing idea is just not efficient because it's biased towards people who are more willing to be outgoing and get involved while alienating those who don't. And what does this mean for our workplaces, which is the real issue at hand right now? The same goes for the workplace. Do you really think people are going to be more productive when there's a constant expectation for it? For one thing, that's going to drain your energy. And for those of you listening out there, are you a fan of discussions at work or school just because it looks productive? What about constantly being watched while you're working? I agree with you on that. If this kind of forced collaboration is inefficient in schools, it must be worse in workplaces where real work needs to be done. But we also have to realize that the new group thing doesn't just refer to an all-in collaboration. More literally, it sets up the entire environment for inefficiency because the offices are too open. And you actually address all of this in your book, Quiet. I want to read a passage for our listeners where you talked about a different approach to workplace designs from your own perspective at work. You said, quote, The cafe worked as my office because it had specific attributes that are absent from modern schools and workplaces. Its casual come-and-go-as-you-please nature left me free from unwelcome entanglements. I could also control my environment by choosing the location of my table, and I had the option to leave whenever I wanted peace and quiet. The way forward I'm suggesting is not to stop collaborating face-to-face, but to refine the way we do it. Quiet 278 I want to pair this passage with a review of your book by David Pitt. He said, This is key to Kane's thesis. Personal space and privacy are absolutely vital to creativity and invention, as is freedom from peer pressure. And to clarify exactly why, Judith Warner puts it this way in another book review, saying that introverts are by nature sensitive, subtle, inner-directed, and solitude-seeking. Warner Inside Intelligence What this all means is that we need new office designs to accommodate these characteristics and it needs to be casual because forcing people to go against their personality will not work out. But of course, change doesn't happen overnight. How do you go about implementing this? 
That's exactly my point. Like I said in my book, our workplace needs to be improved. There's a documentary called Three Walls. It's a cubicle designed to crush your soul. Ironically, it concluded that, quote, it's a misperception that if you remove the walls between people, they automatically communicate more and work better. But there's really no scientific evidence to support the idea. We already know what it does in terms of distraction, end quote. Like these people, I think we can refine our workplaces by moving toward the cubicle idea. Going back to my book again, the understanding right now is that an office wall is a barrier to creativity. Quiet 237. That's something we have to address first. I can agree with that. What companies don't realize is that cubicles are the way to progress because people actually prefer closed spaces. And privacy was a central theme of the documentary. Introverts just couldn't handle having conversations 24-7. One introverted worker actually said she was, quote, sort of inching away from her boss during conversations. Mawani Three Walls. It's natural to want privacy, but for introverts, it's a must if they're to do their best work. And this documentary clearly demonstrates that reality. What it also shows is that we need to not just refine our workplaces by coming up with tangible solutions, but also redefine the meaning of cubicle. That's exactly right. We need to take away its negative connotation by proving its potential. So again, this all comes back to your book. In it, you describe your plans for a change to the workplace. But as we're going to see now, your book also motivated you to turn your plans into reality. There's an article by Lillian Cunningham from the Washington Post on how you went about this. Instead of going back to the traditional cubicle, you came up with an office design similar to it, but specifically for introverts. They're called quiet spaces, which are, quote, workrooms that can be dropped into existing open offices to provide an introvert sanctuary. They're unique because you can customize the lighting, which fulfills the need for offices to be casual so that introverts aren't pushed out of their comfort zone. Like I mentioned, the bottom line is that privacy stimulates progress, and accommodating our majority introverted workers is the way to go if we want to achieve that. So if you own a large company, you should consider the reality that progress is best maximized individually when introverts, and at times even extroverts, can think clearly without constant distraction from others, which is often the case in workplaces inspired by the new groupthink ideal. But more importantly, if you're an introvert and if you're listening, you can make a significant impact on the way things are by working towards self-awareness of your own qualities as we've mentioned today, then after that, spread awareness. And that's really important because there's, quote, a lot of unnecessary stigma attached to introversion. And I'm quoting an article I read, Inverting Introversion by Emma Kerwin. Introversion is just a set of preferences more reserved than those of extroverts. Therefore, we need to spread awareness to combat misconceptions. So in closing, I would like to thank Susan Kane for being here and educating us on not only the new group thing, but also how we each have a part in refining our approach to workplace collaboration. As for all of you listening, thank you, and I can't wait to see you in the next episode. Music